And uh, it's always a blessing to come out here on a Wednesday night with God's people in God's place, and be in God's presence, man. What a refreshing time it is for me, and that's what I'm praying for. It will be for all of us this evening. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. I'm not going to sing for you tonight. Brother Scotty has uh, been held over and wasn't able to get here this evening. Um, but I'm just going to dive right into the, our study tonight. We've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there, and so we're going to do our best to finish up with the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Man, I've enjoyed our study so far. Hope and pray that you have as well. In the first chapter of this very powerful book, the Apostle Paul, first of all, begins by reminding us who we are and what we have in Jesus. How many are thankful for who we are in Christ? Do you understand tonight that you are an heir to God and a joint heir with Jesus if you've been born again into God's family? Do you know that you're an adopted son or daughter of God himself if you've placed faith in Christ? Do you know that he's given you eternal life, which is abundant life? We have a lot to be thankful for concerning a relationship with the Lord. And I'm so thankful tonight. He's made a difference in my life. He's changed me. He's made a difference on the inside that has made a difference on the outside. But from time to time, we all need reminding of who we are and what we have. And that's what Paul does to the believers here in Corinth. And that's certainly what he's doing to us or for us through the living word of God. He starts off in the first nine verses talking about how that we <clears throat> are sanctified, you know, in Jesus. And the word sanctified means to be set apart and, um, and cleaned up and set apart to, so that we might be used for the purpose of God. That's who we are in Jesus. We've been cleaned up. Uh, by the precious blood of Christ. The Bible teaches everybody who comes to the cross and receives the free gift of salvation by grace through faith, you are washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you at the cross. That happens when you place your faith in Him. He forgives us of our sin, washes us clean, and then imputes unto us His righteousness. That's an amazing thing. We are sanctified. And because we are sanctified in Jesus, then we are called to live out holy lives. The Bible says that we are to be holy just as he is holy. And, and so we are to endeavor every day to become more and more and more like Jesus. We are all on this journey as believers in, at, so that we to become uh, just like Jesus is. Now, how many of you understand the Bible teaches in the book of 1 John that when we get to heaven, we're going to be just like he is? <laughs> now, I am thankful that one day in heaven, I'm going to be just like Jesus is. And that absolutely blows my mind every time I read that verse. I don't understand just everything that's going to mean. But I'm excited about it. I'm fired up about it. I can't wait to fully experience that. But I want you to know that process does not start in heaven. That process started at the moment you trusted in Christ. At the moment I trusted in Christ. Right then and there, we started on this journey to become like Jesus. Now, how do you get, on, uh, get to your destination on any journey that you're going to go on? Well, it all starts with the first step. It all starts, what is the first step? Well, the first step is trusting in the Lord. The first step is falling down hopelessly and helplessly at the foot of the cross saying, Lord, I can't live this right. I can't do what you've commanded me to do. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I trust in who you are and what you've done for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. And that's the first step you take to becoming like Jesus. And then you just keep walking with him. You keep taking those steps day by day. Listen, walking in obedience, resting in the finished work of Christ and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit that's working on you, working in you and working through you to accomplish God's good purpose in your life. But that journey is a daily journey. And we're all still growing. I don't care if you've been saved five minutes, five years or 50 years. You are still growing in the Lord. If you're here tonight and you can do this, everybody do this. If you can still do that, you've got growing room. If God was finished with you here, you would already be in heaven. But listen, because we are here, then we are to be growing daily 
to become more like Jesus. And it's by taking just one step at a time, one day at a time. Listen, my last act of obedience in serving and following the Lord is followed by my next act of obedience in serving and following the Lord. Step by step, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, we grow from glory to glory. Can you say amen? That, that's what God has saved us for. He has sanctified us so that we might live out our lives in a way that's pleasing unto himself, so that we might become more and more and more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I want to be more like Jesus next month than I am right now. And I want to keep growing in the Lord. Man, that's so very important that we all see that. Paul said, you have been sanctified, verse number two, and because we've been sanctified, he's called us to live out our lives in a way pleasing unto the Lord. What a blessing that is. Not only does he tell us that we have been sanctified, but he also tells us we are to be unified. <laughs> Amen. We are to be unified inside the body of Christ. We find that truth in verses 10 through 17. We've looked at that for the last two weeks. How many of you understand tonight that when you trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, you were born again into God's family? And you were placed into the body of Christ. And we're going to find as we study on through the book of 1 Corinthians that we are many members in one body. And as many members working together in one body, we're doing what we can together to fulfill the purpose of the head. We're to be unified in our purpose. He preaches against division in the church, and he should. Because division hinders the work. We cannot and we will not be effective in fulfilling our purpose if we are divided. We must be unified. Working together in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purpose of the Lord Jesus. This is the church and I'm so glad to be a part of it. I'm so thankful I get to be a part of what God is doing in this earth. And let me just say this to you. If God is at work, let me tell you how he's at work in his church. I'm going to say that again so you, can, you must not have heard me. If God is at work in this world, he works through his church. If you're not plugged in to your local church, you really cannot say that you're being used of the Lord. At least you're not being used of the Lord like he wants to use you. Because he works in and through his church. I see all these people all the time talk about, you know, uh, Brother Israel, I can worship the Lord and serve the Lord out in a fishing boat or out in a hunting woods. Let me tell you something. I love to fish and I love to hunt and I love to enjoy God's creation. But you know what? When it comes time to worship, God told me to be in his house with his people worshiping him. And God has called me and God has called you as believers to be a part of the body, many members making up one body, fulfilling its purpose. You cannot do that if you are not plugged in to your local church. If God is working, he works through his church. Amen. So we are unified in our purpose. God has not called us to, be, to uniformity, but he has called us to be unified. I don't have to be like you and you don't have to be like me. Ain't you glad of that? Sure. If everybody was like me or everybody was like you, wouldn't this be a boring place? Yes, it would. But God uses our differences as we work together to accomplish his purpose, and that's a beautiful thing. And he does it by his power. It's not uniformity, but we should be in unity with one another, unified in our purpose. And Paul goes on in verse number 18 through verse number 22, talking about what this purpose is and how it's fulfilled. Let's just start there in verse 17, and we're, we'll, we'll go as far as we can this evening. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I love this. He says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You know what Paul is saying? The reason God saved me and the reason God called me is to preach the message of the cross. Why? Because the message of the cross, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is still saving lost souls. The message of the cross, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is still healing families. The message of the cross, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is still breaking addictions. 
the message of the cross, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is still changing communities and states and worlds if we'll just get at it. It's the preaching of the cross that truly makes the difference in a man, woman, boy, or girl's life. If you want to know what God has for you, fall down at the cross and trust in Jesus. Paul said the preaching of the cross is where the power is. God called me to preach the message of the cross. Now look how he puts this so in verse 18. Look what he says. He says, but the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. And we're talking about being unified. And Paul makes it clear right here that the cross divides the world. Do you know that? Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who is one of my absolute favorite preachers of all time, and I love his commentaries, the Through the Bible commentaries. I just so thankful for his ministry, but he always said something that just made sense to me. He said there's two types of people in this world, the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> and that's right. That's exactly right. And that's what Paul is saying right here. The cross divides us. See, he says, for the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness, but on us who are saved is the power of God. So for those who come to the cross and fall down hopelessly and helplessly, say, Lord, it's not my religion that can save me, and it's not my good works that can save me because I can't be good enough. And Lord, it's not anything I can do that can save me because it's not my works. It's not me, but Lord, I know you can save me. I know you've done the work. I know you have paid the price for my sins. And now I trust fully in who you are and I ask you to save me. When a man, woman, boy, or girl does that, guess what happens? The Bible says, the Bible says, it's the power of God unto salvation for us. Foolishness to those who perish. Power of God that gives us eternal life, which is abundant life to those who trust in Jesus. But that's a dividing line. Either you've done that or you hadn't done that. Now, Paul makes it clear that even though the cross divides the world, how many of you know it shouldn't divide us? As a matter of fact, in the church, we must be unified at the cross. <laughs> That's what makes all the difference. We must be unified in the gospel message. I told you a few weeks ago, folks, I've got some... Uh, Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Jesus and I've got some Church of Christ brothers and sisters in Jesus and I've got some Methodist brothers and sisters in Jesus and I've got some non-denominational brothers and sisters in Jesus and guess what? Whether you realize it or not, you do too. You do. You want me tell you why? Because anybody who has come to the cross and received the free gift of salvation is born again into the, into the family of God, is made a part of the body of Christ, and they are my brother and sister. And if you've trusted in Christ, you are our brother or sister. Why? Because the cross unifies us. Praise God, I'm going to major on the major things and not major on the minor things. You all do the same thing. I've just kind of come to the place in my life when I'm tired of fighting about stuff. Tired of being bad about it. About a lot of the things that, in the grand scheme of things, are not majors, they're minors. And so we're unified at the preaching of the gospel. I remember years ago, me and Brother Sean Doss, who was with us last Wednesday. Didn't y'all enjoy that service last Wednesday? Wasn't that awesome? Man, I cannot wait to get under the service of that brother. That's going, to be a, that's going to be a great trip. So looking forward to that. Brother Sean, man, we was down in Nicaragua. And on our way down there, he said, man, you're going to be preaching Sunday. We were going down to meet some pastors to plan some work in Nicaragua. And I said, great, man, let's do it. He said, I've got one thing I've got to tell you now. It's not at a Baptist church. You'll be preaching at a Presbyterian church. I said, praise Jesus. Let's do it. Now, how can I go and preach at a Presbyterian church? Because I'm not preaching Presbyterian doctrine. And guess what? I'm not really preaching Baptist doctrine. I'm preaching the Bible. And in the Bible, you find the message of the gospel. 
So wherever I go, I can just keep preaching the message. I have a lot of people tell you, well, I just well, I wouldn't preach at that church, and I wouldn't preach at this church. I'll tell you this, I'll preach at the gates of hell if God will let me. If he'll open the door. Why? Because we're unified in this message. It's the message of the cross. It's the hope of the world. That's what Paul's talking about. It's power. Praise God, I know if it can change me, it can change you. It can change anybody. Let's keep sharing it. Let's keep sharing it. Do you know, folks, that God has called us, just like he did Peter, to be fishers of men? Do you know you need to find a fishing hole? You and I, we need to find a fishing hole. And I've got some fantastic news for you. Whether you realize it or not, child of God, the Lord has put you in a fishing By His sovereign will, by His omnipotence, according to His plan, He's placed you in a fishing hole, whether you realize it or not. Brother Kyle, what do you do for a living, sir? You work at Walmart. Any of the lost people at Walmart? Praise God. There ain't nothing wrong with Walmart, but there's some lost people there. I paid my tithes every week to Walmart. I paid, I'm getting to where I'm paying a little bit more than I used to pay, and I'm, I don't know if it's like that, but hey, Walmart's a great place. Nothing wrong with Walmart, but there's lost people at Walmart. Guess what that is for you, brother? That's your fishing hole. That's your fishing hole. See, all you, what you're supposed to be doing is catching men by glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And as God gives you opportunity and opens the door, preach this gospel, brother. You've got a fishing hole. What do you do? What do you do for a living? You sell guns. Now, any lost people in a place where you work, they ever come, out, come around? Guess what you got? You got a fishing hole. And in that fishing hole, God is going to use you to speak truth and to, listen, speak life and light into sometimes a very dark place. You got a fishing hole. Use it. Be fishers of men. What do you do for a living? You do what? Boy, she's a fine teacher too. Tell you what. Woman does a good job. Now, listen to me. Do you know she has got, man, I, this absolutely blows me away. I get so fired up every time I think, you talking about a fishing hole. You talking about daily being able to pour into these babies. I'm talking about from this high to this high to this high. I'm talking about kids from kindergarten through how, how old, baby? Through fifth grade. I'm talking about young'uns who are hearing of the love of Jesus by the word of God daily. Not only are they hearing it, but they're seeing it modeled in her life. Yeah, we're teaching reading and writing and arithmetic, and that's all well and good, but let me tell you what fires me up. Every morning, we're giving them the word of God. Every morning, we're saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Ain't nothing wrong with that, are they? We're even saying the Pledge of the Bible every morning. It's amazing. You're talking about a fishing hole. You've got one. Use it for God's glory and do some fishing. Wherever you're at. You say, Brother, I ain't got a job. You got a family, don't you? You got friends, don't you? You got acquaintances, don't you? you? You go to the grocery store too, don't you? You go to the ball game, don't you? You go and get gas at the convenience store, don't you? You be praying that God gives you a fishing hole wherever you go. And when you go, share this gospel because it's powerful. Look for ways. Look for opportunities. Keep your spiritual ears open and your spiritual eyes open. And God will absolutely blow your mind with what he's able to do when he puts you in your fishing hole. The gospel message is a message of power. It unifies the body of Christ. I'm so thankful I get to preach it. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What's God going to do? He said, I'm going to destroy the people who think they're so smart. Everybody see it? And I'm going to destroy the understanding of the prudent who has their plan for the future. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah here. Now listen. Have you ever, ever heard someone speak who is so wise and intellectual, very intelligent, yet they stumble greatly 
at the simplicity of the gospel. Have you? Me too. Me too. Let me tell you why. Number one, many people still want to trust in their wisdom, their human wisdom, and knowledge. However, you need to get this. No matter how much human wisdom and knowledge you gain, you learn, you can eloquently speak, no matter how much, it's never going to bring you true peace. Ain't that what we're looking for? I mean, be honest. Ain't that what we're all looking for? The Lord has given me the opportunity and the privilege to preach the gospel in many different places to many different people groups. I've been in Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua. I've been in Louisville, Kentucky, Macon, Georgia. I've been in Colorado, Arizona. Mission trips all over the United States. I've been in Hamilton, Alabama, Winfield, Alabama. I've preached all around here, Mississippi. God has given me the opportunity to be in a lot of... Let me tell you what I found out no matter where I am. Everybody's looking for peace. It's what they want. And many times they try to find it through the wisdom they have. I love A.W. Tozer, my favorite writers. He said that salvation is much more than just a mental ascent of the gospel. I like that. Salvation is more than just you getting a head knowledge of who God is. More than that. Salvation is more than you just trying to logically reason and figure it out. More than that. Salvation is more than you just knowing there is a God. And I'm all about evidence. You know that. I like to defend my faith. I love that stuff. But it's more than just being able to defend it. Do you believe it? Have you trusted in it? Dr. Adrian Rogers always said that most people's gonna miss heaven and gain hell by about 18 inches. That's the distance between their head and their heart. Because a lot of people have a mental ascent of the gospel. They climb the mountain of truth and believe it but they've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. Wisdom and knowledge that you can gain in this world cannot get, bring you peace, will not give you joy, will not allow you to understand your real purpose because that can only happen by supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. You know that's what salvation is? It's you coming to the end of yourselves and Lord, I've, I've had it. <laughs> Maybe I've tried it. That's where I was. I tried a lot of religion. Lord, I've tried it, but I've seen it. It ain't getting me nowhere. Still don't have any peace. Still don't have any I've tried being a good person. Can't be good enough. Can't do it. It's me coming to the end of myself and finally saying, Lord, I need you. I want you. I got to have you. It's you falling hopelessly and helplessly at the foot of the cross and trusting in him. That's what will change you. It's not the wisdom that man has. Really what Paul is doing in these next three or four verses is contrasting the power of the gospel versus the weakness of man's wisdom. Look at verse number 20. Watch this. Where is the wise or the philosopher? It's really what it's talking about. Where is the scribe? Those who um, are even great students of scripture. That's what a scribe is. Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Hadn't he? He has. He will continue to do so. Why? Because his method and the vehicle by which we come to know him is not wisdom. It's the power of the gospel. 
It's placing faith in Jesus. It's trusting in Him. And that's what makes all the difference. Verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. You said, Brother Israel, is Paul saying that preaching is foolishness? No, he's kind of being sarcastic here. Really what he's saying is, the world thinks it's so foolish to, for someone to say, look, I've trusted in Jesus because those who are perishing see that as foolishness. They say, there ain't no way that can really change me. That's not really going to make a difference in my life. Maybe it has other people, but they don't know me. You're probably a little bit too big for your britches. And I, you said, brother, how do you know that? I know that because I was there too. I was a little bit too big for mine. They don't know me. They don't know where I'm at. They don't know how I think. No. No. God is going to do something in his way according to his plan by his power. And what he does, he does by the power of the gospel. Now you can be a part of that. Or you can choose to keep trusting in your wisdom. It's up to you. Isn't it? But God is wooing you. He's drawing you. He loves you. And he sent me to tell you. Jesus still saves. It's the power of the gospel. I'll make the world's wisdom look foolish by the foolishness of preaching. Again, Dr. McGee says it's not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. God save us from foolish preaching. Pray for Brother Israel that I ain't got no foolish preaching. We need the foolishness, quote unquote, wink, wink, of the preaching of the gospel that makes all the difference. That unifies us inside the body. Don't you want to be a part of it? Isn't that great? Don't you want to be a part of sharing this truth with a world that needs it? I feel so sorry for people who don't know Jesus. I look at them and I think, man, that's where I used to be. That's how I used to think. I can almost see just how miserable I've just been there. It's preaching of the gospel that unifies the church, that changes the world. Amen? We are sanctified. We are to be unified. But God's also called us to glorify, to glorify himself. That's what we got to do. That's what my purpose is and your purpose is as the people of God. How do we glorify the Lord? How do we do it? Through the preaching of this gospel. Let's go on. Now, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. Look at verse number 23, starting in the first part. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block. Now, you're going to see two people in this verse, Jews and Greeks. These two different people groups actually represent um, the, the people all over the world. Jews being the Jews that received the Old Testament prophets and scriptures. God's chosen people through Abraham throughout the Old Testament, the people of faith, or at least the one who came from the man of faith. <laughs> Amen. And then you have the Greeks or the Gentiles. We would be considered Gentiles. So he's talking about us all. And he says, now, for when we preach the gospel to the Jews, it becomes a stumbling block to them. Some people stumble at the gospel. Usually, people who stumble at the gospel have a religious mindset, just like the Jews. You know why the Jews could not accept that they needed a Savior? Because they thought they were good enough. That's why Jesus kept telling them, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. And what he is trying to say is, y'all all sick. <laughs> I'm the great physician. I didn't come for um, those who were, who were doing well. I come to help those who were doing bad. And, and you all doing bad. You all need... This Savior that I've came to be. That's what he was telling them, but they couldn't see it. Why? Because they were 
wound up, bound down in dead religion. Yeah, they had the truth of the Old Testament scriptures, but they had departed from the truth. They had departed from the purpose of God. And as Jesus himself said, they were following after the traditions of men. And so guess what they said? Well, Jesus, give us a sign if you're really who you say you are. Show us. Do a magic trick and we'll all believe in you. It's funny to me that they didn't see all the miracles that he did. They just looked right over that and actually said, he's doing these miracles by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, that don't make any sense. A house divided against itself will not stand. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Because Jesus was going around casting out demons. I read, I talked to you just a little bit about this um, Sunday morning. It's from Matthew chapter number uh, 12, verses 38 and 40. Listen what they said to him. Look at this. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Watch this. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, who, who we would see a sign from thee. So that, again, what they're saying is, if you're really who you say you are, I mean, you're the, you're the Messiah and all, you're the Christ, then show us a sign. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, who we would see a sign from thee. Verse 39. Look at this. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, y'all remember Jonah, don't you? One of our Sunday school teachers told me a, uh, a great story Sunday morning about her Sunday school class. She said she was teaching her Sunday school class, and, and, and um, they were asking some questions. And there was some Bible trivia, and she was going around asking different things. And she said, Who can tell me that... Uh, in the Bible, they got swallowed by a great fish, a big old fish. And said, one of the little boys, he's sitting there thinking, he's like, man, I know this. I, I, I know this. Hang on just a minute. Hang on. I think I know. I think I know. And he said, it's Joe Man. And one of the other little boys says, it's Joe Man Jonah. <laughs> Y'all get that on the way home. Joe, Joe Man Jonah. Well, that's who Jesus is talking about. One of the greatly, what the, 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 the biggest um, attacks on the scripture, again, is the story of Jonah. And all the liberal theologians say, man, there's no way that could have happened. Y'all really, all uh, backwooded, uh, three teeth swinging Christians, um, y'all really believe, y'all really believe that Jonah could be swallowed by a fish? Yes, I believe it. I believe it. Let me tell you why. Jesus said it. Jesus believed it. Why should we believe that? Because he conquered the grave. I just choose to believe in him. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. It ought to be good enough for you. He is the Son of God and God the Son, and he proved it not just by who he was, but what he did, what he said, what he's still doing. So they said, we need a son. He said, I'll give you a sign. It's going to be the, prophet, the sign of the prophet Jonah. What's he talking about? Anybody? What happened to Jonah? Jonah was reckoned dead for how many days? Three, in the belly of a whale. What happened on the third day? Jonah came back and walked in the newness of life. How did Jesus give them the sign of Jonah? He was dead for three days in a tomb. What happened the third day? He rose up to walk in the newness of life. He said, you're going to see a sign. It's going to be the sign of Jonah. <laughs> now, the problem was... They had been seeing all kinds of signs. I mean, they were the ones who studied the scriptures. They were the ones who had the prophets. The Pharisees who gave him so much trouble didn't just go to church or go to the synagogue or the temple one day a week, but seven days a week. I mean, they were always in there studying the scriptures. Matter of fact, the Pharisees themselves had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Brothers and sisters, they were serious about it. How do I know? If you memorize the book of Leviticus, you're serious about it. And they had. They had. Yet, 
when the Son of God was standing right before them, fulfilling the signs that were written in the Scriptures, they missed it. Why? Because they had departed the truth and went after the traditions of men. Dead, lifeless religion. He says it's a stumbling block to the Jews, not only because of their dead religion, but also because of their expectation. What they expected to happen was for Jesus to come, or who they believed to be the Messiah was going to come, and set them free from the Roman Empire. They would have accepted Jesus, I believe, if he had came in on a white charger, wielding his sword, with an army behind him destroying all who came against the Jewish people. They would have followed him. But the scripture says in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, that wasn't how he was coming. The scripture said he was coming as the suffering servant who would be bruised and wounded for our iniquities, our transgressions. But they missed it. When God was standing right in front of them, listen to me. Do not miss the Lord when he's right in front of you. Because you've got so much up here about tradition and what has happened and what should have happened and what didn't happen. Don't miss it. Some people stumble at the gospel. Some people sneer at the gospel. You know what a sneer is, don't you? Come on, man. That, that's what y'all believe. Well, that's the Greeks. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look down with me, if you will, please, at verse number 22. And the Greeks seek after wisdom, but Christ crucified under the Jews' stumbling block and under the Greeks' foolishness. This speaks of those who trust in their wisdom and their philosophy. I read something this week that I really love. It's the definition of philosophy. It's a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't in there. That's pretty good stuff. You listen to some of these people speak and that's what you're going to hear. They just keep going around in circles. Searching for something that's not there. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I, I talked to uh, Brother Kyle about this this week. God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. Do you believe it? God can use whoever, whomever he chooses to use. He can. I heard a pastor say this week that God would never use an evil man to do his work. That's wrong. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. God used that brother up. It's amazing. The kings and leaders of this world are controlled by the hand of God. They are. I don't understand all of it, but they are. I'm telling you. Now, one thing that I've noticed when it goes, to, we're talking about, again, those who seek after wisdom. One of my favorite speakers is a man by the name of Jordan Peterson. I love that dude. One of the most articulate, intelligent men I've ever heard speak. He's a clinical psychologist. And I'm telling you something. One thing I like about this brother, two things really. There's a lot I like about him. But two things I really like about him. He's bold and he's honest. He does not claim to be a follower of Christ. Yet, he is honest and smart enough, intelligent enough, to dive deep into what he knows is truth. Meaning, and the evidence of the natural world and psychological world that he lives in. He does. And I'm telling you something, God is using this man, who doesn't even claim to be a follower, to preach his message to millions. In a powerful way. But it just breaks my heart that this man with so much wisdom and knowledge is stumbling at the simplicity of the gospel, 
I just want to say, man, you need grace. That's what you're missing. You need grace. He keeps talking about, oh, I, 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 I want to believe that it's true, but it'd scare me to death if it were true. You know why? Because you're a sinner, just like I am. And you can't do what you know you should do, even though it's hard you try. What you need is grace. It's available. But he can't get past his wisdom. Breaks my heart. However, God uses him. Isn't that something? You don't believe he used him, listen to some of his stuff. My brother's preaching a message about 90% of the time he's up there speaking. But he's missing out on what he could have personally with the Lord. It just breaks my heart. Breaks my heart for people who seek after wisdom. They're just you following that black cat in a dark room and the cat's not there and you're chasing your own tail when the, God says the answer is the cross. That's why I sent my son. Amen? Some people stumble at the gospel. That's the religious crowds spoken of by the, by the apostle here, the Jews. Some people sneer at the gospel. That's the Greeks. They think they're too smart for the gospel. Now let's go on. Watch. Verse 24. But in the them which are called. <laughs> Watch. I love this. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God. And the wisdom of God. He said, some stumble, some sneer, but some believe. Some believe. Who are the called? Well, if we ain't careful, we'll really open up a can of worms right here. Who are the called? I'll tell you who the called are. The whosoevers. The whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the called. You got me? Is there an elect? Yes. Yes. According to the word of God, there is. So, who does God call? Whosoever believes in him. That's who. And I'm going to stop right there before we go any deeper because I don't want to, I don't want to get sidetracked on what we're really talking about. All right? Now listen to me. Get a hold of this. If you've come to the... See, what a lot of people think, they think this. They think, you know, for me to really get saved, it's got to be a Damascus Road experience. God has got to shine down a beam of light from heaven right into my forehead. And when I see that beam of light shine into my forehead, and then I'm going to feel some kind of way on the inside. You know, I see a lot of people cry. I see a lot of people carry on. So maybe I got to do that. Maybe if I can cry and carry on and the beam of light shines into my forehead, then maybe, just maybe, I can really get saved. Listen. Listen. Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one, and no one seeks after God in your lost condition. Do you know what? Romans 3 10 and 11. So if you have a desire to seek for truth, let me tell you what I believe is happening. God's drawing you. Let me tell you why I know that. Because in your lost state, in your ability, you won't do that. Quit thinking you've got to have the room turnover for you to trust in Jesus. No. I've seen some people, man, who are very emotional people, and man, they get their hearts broke over, you know, coming to the Lord and, and, and they show great remorse for their sin. And, and you know what? I, need, I think there needs to be some remorse for your old lifestyle and the things that you've done. No doubt about that. When God brings conviction, he, he certainly brings remorse for all of that past life. No doubt about it. I get that. But a lot of people are just not emotional people. I don't know what's happened to me. I didn't used to be emotional. And now, I think having kids did this to me. Now, I just cry about everything. I was thinking today, man, no, we didn't talk to nobody. I was just riding down the road. I got to think about my daughter graduating. Brandy had posted a picture a few days ago of my little girl, Ellie Grace. Little hair, just 
broke out. Two years old. I was telling the boy I work with today, um, that song come on the radio, got a little dirt on my boots, y'all know that song? I can remember when Ellie Graves was just a little bitty girl, she's two, three years old, she'd get in my boots and walk through the house, barely could pick them up because it's too heavy. She'd be walking in those boots, I got a little dirt on my boots. That's the way she'd do it too, shake your head. You know, you get to thinking about stuff like that. Now dad gum it, they're 18 going on 36, know everything. This breaks your heart. I'm not really an emotional person either. So, so what, my point is this. A lot of people are just emotional people. And you know what? Hey, that, that happens. And that's okay. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But I've also seen people come to Jesus like a business transaction. They're like, man, that's truth. Yeah, that's what I need right there. That's, that's it. Regardless, Jesus is the one who saves. Your emotion don't save. You don't save. Let me get you, let me let you in a little thing on it. Your prayer didn't save you. It didn't. You are saved by faith. Trust that Jesus did everything necessary so that your sins might be forgiven. That's it. See it. Don't make it harder than it is. Don't make it harder than it is. Let's go on. All right? So he says, some believe. And when they believe, when the called believe and trust in the Lord, then the power of God is made real in their life. 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, um, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see your calling brethren. So he does three things here that I want to, I want to point out real quick. First of all, he shows them where they were. I love this part, man. This gives me hope. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Let me tell you what a lot of people think. They think this. They think, man, I just got to get my act cleaned up. I can get my act cleaned up and I can start um, talking right and living right and dressing right and getting the right circle of people and start coming to the right places kind of like this. And I'll start doing all that and I'll get everything like it needs to be. Then I'll get my heart right. You know what Paul said? Not many wise, not many noble Not many mighty are called. A lot of people think, man, I, I tell you what I got to do. I, I got to learn more. I got to learn more and just really dive deep into this. Nothing wrong with seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. I'm not saying that. But they think I've got to get all of this stuff worked out right in my mind. And boy, if I can, then I'm going to get right with the Lord. And Paul says, not many wise, <laughs> not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know what he's saying? God can use the wise. God can use the mighty. God can use the noble. And sometimes he does. But most of the time, he just uses and saves regular, ordinary, everyday sinners just like us. Let me tell you what I love about the gospel. The ground is level, brothers and sisters, at the foot of the cross. I don't care if you're a president or a prince. I don't care if you are a world leader or a janitor. I don't care if you're a garbage man or a professional boxer. We all need Jesus. I don't care if you've got money in the bank or you're poor as a rat snake. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And the good news is the gospel is available to all. Not just the mighty. Not just the wise, not just the noble. And really what Paul is saying to these puffed up Corinthians, he says, take a look at yourself. You're not really wise. You're not really noble. You're not really mighty. But God uses you. Isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. Who they were. But then he tells them who they are. Verse 27, watch. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28, and base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why does God use regular, regular ordinary, everyday people? I'll tell you why. To show how big he is. See, 
if God can use me, he can use anybody. It's really an evangelical message. When God uses weak, not very noble, not really wise people like me. And let everybody else know, well, maybe he can use me too. <laughs> Amen? It's an evangelical thing. It really is. Let me tell you something else. If God only used exceptionally smart, intelligent, wise people to do his work, then maybe those exceptionally wise, intelligent, talented people would get the glory. But when he uses base things to confound the wise, then who gets glorified? Who deserves glory? He does. Because no matter who you are, we're just sinners standing in need of a Savior. Isn't that right? Let's go to verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I could spend a whole nother night just on that verse. That's a mouthful. We who are in Christ Jesus have all of these things. Wisdom. Anything wrong with wisdom? No. Wisdom is a fantastic thing. But you've got to be careful how you define wisdom. Wisdom is not man's knowledge, which that's not necessarily a bad thing unless you're trusting in it to make you right with God. Wisdom he's talking about here is the ability to make God-honoring choices and glorify him day by day throughout your life. That's godly wisdom that makes a difference. And that's what we receive in Christ Jesus. Amen? And righteousness. His righteousness imputed unto us. And sanctification and redemption. Praise the Lord, we've been redeemed. Bought back from the slave master of sin. That's really what that's talking about. Verse 31 tells us that according as it is written, he that glorieth, who are we going to glory in? Folks, we are sanctified, should be unified, and we need to glorify the Lord. It's not about us, how wise and noble and mighty we are, just how good He is. God uses regular, ordinary, everyday people, and He saves people by the preaching of the gospel. And if you need to be saved, why not tonight? Everybody stand together.